podcast, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Engagement. I'm your host, Ben Lin, and it's my pleasure to bring you another episode of the show that tries to bring you actionable insights and tips that you can implement to improve culture and engagement inside your organization. Uh, Today's topic is diversity and inclusion. Uh, I think it's something that we can all agree has been a pretty hot button issue over the last four or five months with a lot of the um, sort of renewed activism that we've seen in society. Uh, And I'm really pleased to be able to bring somebody on the show who I think is a a really important voice in this area. My guest today is Wush Raza. Uh, Wush came to my attention through some of the great posts that he's put out on LinkedIn, as well as some of the podcasts that he's also uh, featured on where he discusses this this topic. Wush is a big voice for diversity and inclusion in the workplace, uh, and he's also a big advocate for bringing sort of more authenticity and um, and realness uh, to the role of HR as well, which he touches on in the show, which I think is very, very interesting too. Um, I really got a lot out of this show. I think it was pretty eye-opening for me to listen to some of the things that Wush said and to kind of think about how I do or don't contribute to um, to this issue and, and, and what my role is, uh, both as, as somebody with a platform and um, as, as an employee inside an organization. Um, I'm hoping that you'll get as much out of it as I did. So with no further ado, please welcome Wush Raza. Okay, so we're recording. Whoosh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. Morning. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, for people who are just listening, uh, I'm not sure when this is going to come out yet, but it's a, it's a Friday morning, so I'm hoping that we're, we're both adequately caffeinated and we'll be using what's left of the week's energy reserves to, uh, to get through this with some gusto, right? Absolutely. I mean, like Fridays are the days. Um, (laughs) Sort of like every day is a bit of a, every day has been a bit of, well, every day was a Sunday. That was sort of how I felt about kind of the last four or five months every day, not to get too Morrissey, but, uh, but every day was a Sunday. Um, (laughs) And sort of recently, I feel like most days are a bit of a Friday now because you, you know, you're you're seeing people that you haven't seen for a while. Maybe you've got a little bit more of an appetite for socializing and whatnot. Absolutely. Well, I'm on the flip side of that. I'm on every day seems like a Monday because it's been nonstop since, God, I don't even know. It's all the, all the days are just blending into like one big work day. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we'll, uh, we'll jump into that in, uh, in a moment, actually, Wush. But before we do, um, just for people who might not be familiar with you, do you want to give us just a quick intro to who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So again, thanks for having me. Really excited to catch up with you this morning. Um, my name is Wush Raza. I am, well, I'm a lot of things. <laughs> um, so I will start by firstly kind of saying from an identity perspective, I identify as LGBT. I'm, I'm a gay man. I also identify as being a person of colour. Um, I uh, my parents have a South Asian background from Pakistan. Um, and I think that's, for me, the most important part of who I am now. And that's really inspiring that I that I start to think of myself in th- terms of my identity before I start thinking about actually what I do. But what I do, I absolutely love. I'm currently the head of HR and learning and development for a charity organization called Phoenix Futures. Phoenix Futures is an incredible charity um, I'm so, so lucky and um, blessed to work for such an incredible cause. We support people who suffer from addiction um, treatment um, mm-hmm. across all different pathways. So we support people who, um, through our residential services, we, ha- we support people in prisons, we support people in the community. And basically our purpose is to really tackle that stigma around addiction, um, alcohol and drug addiction. Um, so great, great charity. I have the absolute pleasure of running uh, and leading the the, the people function, um, which I'm really, really um 
which gets me going, really does get me going. Yeah. Um, my background has been in healthcare for the best part of a decade. So um, really kind of grew my career in, in health and social care and hospitals, uh, housing. Yeah, so that's just a bit more about me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think first and foremost thing I can easily say is that the, the, obviously the the passion just for other people sort of comes across just even in sort of the the very brief intro that you've given us there, man. I think. Oh, um, thank you. I, you know, it's, it's an, I suppose it's an interesting place to start as well, kind of more on the, you know, on the human side before we, I mean, you know, human and, you know, that is ultimately what we all are and sort of how we all interact with each other. Right. But, um, I guess this is classed as a, a business podcast or whatever you'd say. Um, but I mean, I think that, you know, from your perspective, I believe you kind of just started in, in January, was that right? So there was yeah. kind of onboarding throughout lockdown and, and kind of building a team and all that kind of thing, yeah. I would imagine. But then also if we think about the types of people with whom, uh, Phoenix Futures works with it's been a really really testing time for people that would need you know let's say a little bit of extra assistance while you know people have been locked down and, and working Absolutely. from home and all that kind of stuff so what, what's what's that been like from a from a human perspective the last five yeah. months yeah i mean it's great that you say that you frame that in terms of humor because actually one of the things i'm doing um because i do a lot of work for the for equality diversity inclusion and i think i think we're in a world now that demands more of us in terms of authenticity and i think we're in a world now where that corporate fabric that we've spun around the world of work is is, is starting to be shed is, is starting to come off because actually we recognize that it's so important to be to be your authentic self right at work so that's a great point that you made around that human element and from a human perspective um it has been tough i mean many of our service users um as we probably know when you go through an addiction or when you go through that recovery pathway um there's a huge mental health element in that, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of change that you're going through and to then have to go through that and solidarity and community are actually the fundamental principles of, that we believe in in recovery because we believe very much in psychosocial um, models of treatment which is all around you know you're all in it together you know developing as a community using peer-to-peer -peer support so someone that's gone through addictions to go you know what look hang in there because I've been there and I can you know you can do this and you effectively remove that when you go into a position of lockdown because you're kind of kind of you know you're 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 on lockdown um, mm. so it's been tough for, for many of our service users we have still relentlessly engaged with them as, as as safely as we can through that process all of our services have remained open during that time we have um, done loads of really innovative things like um, like videos and like doing things through like social media and stuff just to get people bought in so they can still you know kind of feel part of the community even though they may not physically be able to kind of be near people so it's been an interesting time and we're really lucky that you know we've not had to close any of our services that we've still been able to provide a baseline level of support um and yeah i think it's been an interesting time for my team and myself in terms of human mm -hmm. nature i mean i literally like you say i joined in january there was literally no one in the team because we were rebuilding and restructuring so pretty much all of my team um have been inducted and recruited through through lockdown which has been a very interesting challenge from a team development perspective um you know there's a few people i in my team that i've never actually physically met which is really just weird um yeah i think we've managed to come together quite strongly because we've built in strong communication throughout and um, we're doing fun things you know i'm sure you've had things like like you know zoom quizzes 
you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, just to keep I don't think there's anybody in the world who hasn't taken not, part in a Zoom quiz. <laughs> My general knowledge has really exponentially shot up, I think, in the, over the last six months. So, yeah, it's been a tough time, I think, from both the team perspective, from us in HR and L&D, but also for our service users. And I think we've done a really um, brilliant job of keeping that momentum going and really yeah just kind of working through those issues um, and and still maintaining a sense of community because ultimately that is what Phoenix is all about. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just it'd be interesting just I suppose to, to drill down into um, I suppose into that into that topic a little bit more Wosh because I know that um, there'll be a lot of people listening to this who you know, let's face it, as we kind of move a little bit more towards remote working becoming normal and sort of the hybrid, you know, the hybrid work environment, I think it would be interesting just to hear a little bit more about sort of how you've kept sort of channels and, and comms open and how you've sort of have built sort of a, a that, that sort of team ethos, despite there being, you know, that geographical distance between you and, and some of the new members of the team. Yeah, um, it has. Uh, it's, I mean, I'm absolutely happy to share. In fact, you know, hopefully, you know, if people out there are listening who are, you know, going through that that from a, a remote working perspective, it's tough. I think we're at that point where of the year. I think collectively as a nation, we're in like end of August, beginning of September, where everyone's just like flat. I mm-hmm. definitely sense that flatness, and everyone that I spoke to, regardless of how en- engaged you you think you've been, which you, you know you could you could be as engaged as ever. But I think we're just at that point now where people are like oh god when will this end um and I think that's for me I'd say start the starting the starting point that conversation is is for those listening is and if you do feel like that because I certainly do and I'm off next week is make sure that you're building in that time for you I think and I've said you know people are have been reluctant to take leave um, in my team during this period which I think a lot of people because you're at home and you can't fly you can't travel um there's the joys of just switching off from your working environment and actually you know even if that's physically things like I've got my working from home space next to my bed so what I've done in psychologically is when I had a few days off is I literally put my laptop underneath so physically I couldn't wake up and see my laptop and it was little things like that that just made that I needed and still do so I think the first and foremost is make sure you're looking after yourself well-being for both a team level and an individual level is absolutely crucial right now you know listen to what your body is telling you listen to what your mind is telling you do things that take you out of the environment that you're in all the time because you know with working from home I think this statistically you work longer we know that we know that people you know taking lunches and we reduce you lose the travel time so there's all of that to consider. Some of the things that we've done in the HR and L&D team, um, specifically around kind of getting us together, um, were, uh, so we did, we, where we tried to do safely social distanced kind of a face-to-face meetup, which was really nice. And that was early on in the summer when lockdown had lifted. Um, and that was a lovely way of just kind of being with with people but in a non-work setting so mm-hmm. just literally yep. it, was, it was in Greenwich Park and it was just really lovely nice. um we regularly meet weekly now I know that zoom fatigue is real like and <laughs> I'm sure you probably can speak to that I'm very side. grateful to you for coming on this uh this zoom based interview <laughs> <laughs> I mean literally I I think the, the the question has been to switch my video on or not to switch my video on and I yes. think what I would say is I know that there's positive intent for managers out there to be like I really want to be that person for my team I really want to help my team come together but don't 
make an expectation that they always have to have their video on all the time because that's exhausting man um and i think that's something that i've certainly felt is you know there are times what we've what we've said is it's okay not to be okay and that's been the founding principle of our team so we've shared um mental health stories so i've i've shared about where i've been feeling low um and that's opened the team up from a leadership perspective to then go actually you know what i'm not okay and those conversations have been really important for us um we've we've made a rule to be like look it's flexible so turn your video on don't turn your video on it's fine we we scaled back we did that daily thing and then we went to weekly and now we're doing fortnightly because i think it's important to communicate and connect but also just to give people space that they're not feeling that they have to wake up every day to to be on a meeting um and I think it's small acts of kindness. That's what we really has helped us go through this. So, you know, whether it's like celebrating a birthday, but just making a really big deal of like someone's birthday, we've got a great WhatsApp group where we just post funny videos and pictures. And a mixture of all of those has really helped bring the team together and actually develop the team over the last kind of five or six months. Um, yeah. I really, I, I've got to say, I, I love the sound of all of those. The one that um, sort of the, the couple that really resonated with me there are um, sort of making sure that you do give yourself the opportunity to, to switch off. I mean, I'm sort of my personal circumstances, I suppose, have been a little bit different because in the sense that I kind of didn't work all the way through. So I am, um, I took some, well, I, I had some, some government sponsored time off uh, for a little while, but um, you know, as I've come back into the office and back into my working routine, I think it's been the opportunity for me just to sort of recalibrate certain things that weren't working or that I kind of on reflection knew weren't being particularly good for me. Like I, you know, I was one of those people that, you know, I would be opening, opening up the office at 7am and then sort of staying until six. And you realize that, you know, really just by virtue of being in the office longer, you just have more time to waste. Whereas you can sort of hold yourself a little bit more accountable if you're yeah. going to be strictly adhering to your like, you know, half eight till half five or whatever it might be. Um, and the other thing that I've been doing recently that's, that's helped me, I don't know if you can uh, relate to this worse or not, is actually limiting my, uh, my LinkedIn usage to sort of yeah. when I'm when I'm working as well, you know, I sort yeah. of after five o'clock, yep. I try not to check LinkedIn because otherwise you're just sort of you're switching back on, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more. I think that's a really great, um, a really great tip actually to share with people. Um, I I've certainly put those similar boundaries in place with LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I love the fact that we have a social community online and it's a professional community. And you know, I, I am I am a bit of a geek, so like you know, I love reading all things mm -hmm. HR, L&D. But as you say, I recognized very much like your journey there, Ben, in terms of, I was like, oh my God, I'm actively thinking about work and it's nine o'clock yeah. and I should just be switching off, you know? Yeah. So I think building those boundaries in and recognizing that work it is a different, you know, we've, this country, I guess, specifically, if you look at the way we see work, okay, I've always said this is a really important point, because it's an industrial relations background, right? This country was factories and, and cotton mills. And, you know, it was it was manual labor. And that was what, you know, was the bulk of labor in this country. And we've moved from that to a knowledge economy, you know, to a service-led economy um, very rapidly um, as technology has transformed the way in which we, we work and the way that we consume consume and, and, and everything. So with that, you have to understand that, the, you know, you have to bring that ideology of work along with you. Work isn't going into an office and spending nine to five. Work is going on LinkedIn and going, oh, that's going to be good for learning development or I'm going to pick that up. You know, your, your mm -hmm. work, that is work, you know, and I think people still have to understand that me researching or me being on Google and or me actually, you know, catching up with people, that is still work. And, you know, there's only so much work you can do in a day. 
productively. Yeah. So I think it's really important to recognize that work looks different in this day and age and being online, communicating, connecting, it, it, you know, it is, that is work. And actually you need to put those boundaries in um, that, that, that you get the best out of you, you know, um, over that, over that period of time. Absolutely. No, that that's, that's bang on for me, really. I think that um, it's so easy to, I guess, sort of reach the point where you're just kind of spinning your wheels, you know, and I, I saw somebody refer to it on, on LinkedIn the other day, sort of the difference between business and busyness. And I sort of thought like that really kind of hit it home for me. I think I was spending a lot of my time being busy, but not necessarily working as it were. Yeah. Um, I want to switch up a little bit here, Woj, because I want to get into sort of the stuff that I was sort of first drawn to you for is kind of the, the passionate way in which you speak about diversity and inclusion right now. I think that it's, how do I just say, how do I say this? I, I feel like certainly in the organization that I work for, we've been making strides to address the areas where we're a little bit deficient as it relates to, to, to ED and I. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the, the tragic circumstances of George Floyd and everything really brought, you know, diversity and equality to the forefront of like, let's say the general consciousness, right? So from a societal perspective, I think everybody is a lot more clued in well, I would hope that people are becoming, let's say, I feel like you have been ready to correct me there. Uh, oh. People are becoming a, a lot more clued in, right? So I suppose I'll phrase that as a question. Are people becoming more clued in? Let's, let's speak first of all from a societal perspective, but then also if you could kind of touch on what your take on things are from, you know, inside a business, you know, what is, what does kind of diversity and inclusion look like from a general perspective in 2020? Mm, I, really good questions. Um, and the answer to, so let's look at society first. This is not a, not a new problem. Racism is not a new problem. This is a systemic ideology that has permeated every level of our, of our society for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And it stems from, you know, we know the history, you can go into colonization, we can talk about the slave trade, we can do all of that. But actually that is, you know, I think, the fact that it's been such a deep root part of our identity as an as a human population for so long is means that it's not gonna you know i i i i'm very skeptical of people going oh you know we're heading in the right direction it's too soon for us to say that it's too soon for people to go oh, i'm woke now because i know the, the struggles <laughs> because i've spoken to a black person because you know i because i've read a book great but it's it's not and and please please let me let me be let me be um supportive in this dialogue as well i respect allyship i think that you know people who are um making the time to educate themselves and listening you know good on you and carry on doing that but it is way too soon for us to make any sweeping statements that we've solved the problem or we're in we're in the right way we don't know if we're in the right way i mean our political society look at the political infrastructure on this planet right now we're at a war between two huge ideologies one based on you know inclusion and um acceptance and another one fiercely defending um you know for want of a better word, you know, traditional, mm. um, you know, kind of heteronormative makeups. So we're not, I don't think we're anywhere near um, getting to a point of even being able to analyze, you know, are we heading in the right direction? What I will say though, is this year, um, I, for me in my lifetime, and I'm mindful my lifetime is a very short span of this, this whole issue. But in my lifetime, I feel that this year, we've seen the most authentic reaction and the most, um, 
I would say a genuine commitment from from um, from what's happened in, in uh, you know with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, the and, I've, and I'm sure other DNI professionals can can agree with me here. We we all welcome that, of course, because you know there's a genuine element of you know I really want to be part of this solution here and I want to make the world a better place. Great, but we're also really concerned about the performative element of this particular issue. So putting a black square and posting a black square and or putting hashtag black lives matter you know that's quite that's enraging for me if you're not necessarily doing the work within your organizations or wherever you are to actually find that deep-rooted systemic racism and dismantle it you know and that takes time and that takes effort and it takes energy and it takes uncomfortable conversations Mm. um and i so i think what i'm seeing is we are having more uncomfortable conversations we are being more authentic about it which is a great starting point but it is just that it's a starting point to continue the conversation and as we know there are some topics that become sexy and you know um kind of in fashion and then something else happens and you know we kind of then you know with we, we, them and then in three or four years time a big serious issue happens again we're going, oh, oh god this is still happening yes it's still happening racism is still happening you know people are being killed for, for nothing no other reason than the fact that, that they're black so i think what we need to do here both points here this is applies to both the questions that you've just asked there ben from a society perspective and from an organizational perspective mm-hmm. is continue the conversation build it into your processes, build it into the dialogue, build it into the narrative of your organization and who you are, build it into the DNA of what you stand for on your values and keep talking about it, keep inviting people to share their experiences and keep um, measuring, you know, what you're doing so that it's a constant conversation that doesn't die away when the next person, you know, unfortunately, you know, God, God, God forbid, but if the next person then, you know, we have another global incident of that scale. Yeah, I, I think that that's a great answer. That's a, and a lot of kind of very, very powerful statements there as well. I think that um, one of the things that one of the other things I think that is absolutely imperative in kind of opening up this these types of discussions, you know, both from a societal perspective and inside the workplace is, you know, sort of a level of candor and a level of honesty, I, I think that and that, that a lot of people are. And, and uh, you know, if I'm being completely honest and, and sort of vulnerable, you know, I that I would maybe lump myself in with this as well. I mean, I think that there are a lot of people uh, and maybe I would have, well, and I'll be honest, I would have been one of these people maybe 12 months ago that would have, you know, scoffed at the idea that just by virtue of me being, you know, a, you know, a, a heterosexual white male, you know, that I was somehow contributing to the... Um, what's the word marginalization of other people, you know, but I think that once you sort of look around and accept that the very frameworks in which I am operating and I have been allowed to succeed and all that are based on these sort of antiquated principles of some being more equal, you know, some being better than others. That's kind of when it's a little bit more eye opening. Um, and so I suppose to bring this round back to a question rather than just my rambling statement there, worship uh-huh. would be, do you think that sort of the level of honesty and openness that is required to open these conversations is sometimes at odds with uh, the ethos of what a traditional HR department might look like? Yeah, 100%. And this is one of the areas that I am so passionate about changing from an HR and LD perspective. Firstly, though, I want to go back to the statement that you made and say thank you for, for, for actually making that statement because you... Um, ben, you fit a, 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 a you know a type and actually of, of individual that that for, you know has privilege and actually hearing you being vulnerable about that 
that that privilege and that power um and seeing that you know is only going to help because others that can you know that 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 will help other people in being able to open up themselves and actually use their privileges and platform for for for, for, for real real change so um thank you for again you know that vulnerability that you've just demonstrated and that that honesty and i think it is about honesty we have to be honest in this issue the problem is we are polite about race and the problem is we can't afford to be polite about race because by being polite about race we're skirting around the issues that we really need to be talking about so just just wanted to pick up on that point and i think you know great, thank you. great statement hr and ellen yes let's let's talk about hr now i am super passionate about being an authentic person in HR, it's such a weird situation. Firstly, let's let's break down the profession. Human resources has the word human in it, right? And actually, we have desensitized from that human element in the, the very way in which we dispense HR service in organizations. So we've based it on employee relations. Um, we've based it on actually, we you know, the Equality Act doesn't necessarily help strengthen that because actually the Equality Act um creates an environment where people feel they can't talk about those protected characteristics at work so we can't talk about race we can't talk about age we can't talk about sexual orientation you know people are fearful of talking about that from a compliance perspective so we've created a culture where i don't think hr is having an authentic conversation and genuine conversation with not only the organization that this the hr department serves in but within each within us with ourselves and we're then now seen as the experts because as with every human issue or edni it's like oh well let's just move that to the hr department i really struggle with that because edni is not a hr issue it's an organizational issue it affects everyone and it shouldn't have to be led by a specific department it should be an organizational wide initiative so i think that what we are seeing now is a movement and and actually um a lot of the work that I do for the CIPD, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, they, um, and I co-chair what the Central London branch for them. And we've just released a series of webinars called the Why Webinars, and they've been really well met. I mean, the, the feedback has been incredible because these conversations are now starting to center a human-centric approach in the HR community around, well, why can't we talk about race at work? And why, you know, why do all of our directors look the same? For example, you know, mm. why is it I can't see someone at senior level that I can relate to. Um, you know, these questions have to be asked and HR has a, a pivotal role in that because they have a position of privilege within their organizations, right? So for me, it's about, okay, how do you unlock that particular part of who, because we, we have a natural tendency in HR and I'm a HR practitioner, so I can say this with full confidence. <laughs> Is that we have a natural tendency to go right? Let's let's um, you know let's box it in. Let's make a policy. Let's make a process. Let's let's write out everything. You can't regulate human behaviour. You can't legislate that through a policy. You can legislate that through cultural change. You can do a lot of work by being you know by engagement. So employee engagement. There's a lot that can be done from a a learning and development perspective in terms of offering that support, offering training, but it has to start with us recognizing that we have to be more authentic in that issue in ourselves. And actually, Ben, one of the things that, you know, groupthink is real. So, you know, we know the, you know, we know that groupthink is, it, it can again be best intentions, but if you're not mm. having people in that conversation that are representative of the workforce or the customers that you support you're never really going to innovate to the level that you need to on this issue 67 percent of hr professionals are white are white women 
And I think that's another element to consider when it comes to HR's responsibilities towards EDI and the element that we need to really start to build on um, in terms of developing a more diverse portfolio of HR practitioners who can then take this issue forward. Mm. Do you think in a lot of ways then that the responsibility lies, I suppose, on the existing practitioners to sort of, I guess, open it up a little bit and maybe be a little bit more communicative, communicative rather about the, the opportunities that lie within it and sort of what, a, you know, what an engaging and fulfilling career it can be. Because it's been, um, you know, it, it was put to me yesterday, actually, um, you know, and I, I kind of likened it to, um, to salespeople and, you know, as a, as a filthy, dirty salesperson myself, I feel, you know, sort of comfortable in saying this, that, you know, very few people sort of embark on into sales as a, as the thing that you want to be when you're a, when you're a kid, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and yeah. Even at university, you know, or, or college or, or not, you know, as, as the case might be, you sort of, it's something that you fall into, you know, and then you find a passion for once you're doing it. Uh, and it was put to me yesterday that that is probably still quite a common phenomenon, uh, in the HR community as well. And I wondered yeah. if that was something that sort of chimed with, with your opinion. I think, when I first started in HR, I would agree much more so that a lot of the people I met early on in my HR career were like, oh, you know, what? I'm I'm a PA. I was the PA for a, a director. And actually, then these tasks just kind of got given to me or, you know, mm-hmm. I was an administrator in a more general setting. And actually, then I'm just responsible for this, this and this. Um, mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of the people I met very early on in my career were, you know, were people who, as you say, fell into the profession. Um I fell into the profession. <laughs> um, so I, I I, didn't know what I wanted to be, to be honest. I just knew I wanted to, I mean, I was in my 20s. I just wanted to go out and, you know, have a good time. Mm. Um, and I wasn't necessarily thinking too much about my career. I mean, I was in HR from about the age of 17, 18. Mm. So that's kind of what's contributed to me progressing in it. But actually, you know, as soon as I realized what, again the the fact i could meet with people and people were opening up to me just because i had the title right so i had hr my title and i had people sharing the most sensitive parts of themselves and that was an honor for me it was a privilege and, and i didn't know why i deserved for them to come in and shut the door and go wish you know i've got this really big issue that i need sorting and that was it was the power of I guess I was drunk on that kind of, wow, okay, I, you know, this is what HR is. It's about the fact that I saw the honesty and authenticity, you know, that it's coming to the department, which propelled me to want a career, to develop a career in it, because I thought I can use this to help, to help people, you know, and problem solve. And I think that's a lot of the skills that a lot of practitioners, you know, can relate to. We want to help people. We want to solve problems. We want to be that, that, that trusted advisor. Um, so again, yeah, I think I think where I started my career, there was a lot more of that. Now I must say, we've done a lot, and I do think there's a lot of um, attraction in now coming into a career in HR. I do think it's it's marketed and it's profiled probably a lot more strongly. Oh, However, with that being said, as you say, Ben, um, there's still people that fall into to it um, and and you know want to progress into it. But yeah, I think I think we can do a lot more. I think what we what we need to do now is that diversity piece. So when I started in HR, I didn't see anyone in HR that was gay or a person of color even, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm really doing a lot at the moment to champion senior HR L&D professionals who 
who are you know from underrepresented groups so that people coming into the profession or considering a career can see people that actually look like them or you know that yes. they can relate to so so I do think we need to do some more work in HR and L&D in that space but I think we're on the right track yeah I no, I, I would agree with that and I think to sort of um, I suppose to couple that with the point that you made earlier that it needn't sit with HR as just being their responsibility and again sort of if I look at my role as it were and the things that I can control because you know if you look around sort of our organization you know we we are an organization that is you know 100% committed to you know equality and diversity and inclusion and um, and yet you know we will be the first company to admit that as a tech startup we are primarily white straight guys you know um and so we are we're looking for ways in which we can we can remedy that and bring in different voices and different experiences into the company um i suppose my question would be what is my responsibility as an employee of this company is it something that i should be directly challenging should i be sort of putting things forward to the slt that we really need to get a move on and and i suppose beyond that um and I liked your point about championing things. Is there something that I could do to try and raise our profile amongst maybe some, and I don't mean, I'm saying underrepresented, underrepresented because I can't think of a better word, but like, you know, underrepresented, um, you know, backgrounds and, and communities and things like that to sort of get the word out about us. I, I couldn't agree. I think those are great options. And the fact that you're even considering those options is the work is is the is where we all need to be really is starting to ask those questions identify those gaps look at those kind of areas that you know are starting to become um very obvious and say well what, what, what is it what is it that we're going to do so mm-hmm. i would encourage um all of those options to be absolutely considered and and and, and you know and more if you know for those mm-hmm. listening who are thinking yeah you know what i've got a, a senior leadership team that is um that's you know that's white <laughs> or you know that I can't see that diversity in it um it's hard because I think for a senior leadership possession or in, like you know when you're tackling okay senior leadership and career progression and things um it's a really uncomfortable space to kind of go um you know especially if you're working because we still have no matter how far we say we've come we still have a hierarchical element to any organizational running right so there's still a seniority that you have to be mindful of and i think it becomes difficult for people to go well do i say that you know i think you're white without wanting feeling that i'm going to get fired and i'm really Mm -hmm. hoping that the conversations that we're seeing this year has started to challenge organizations to say that's fine employee voice in this is really important and we want to hear what they're saying Mm -hmm. um without necessarily feeling threatened so i think that senior leadership piece is definitely one that if you can say it great um and you know there's loads of channels that you know you know that that you can use your voice through so you know some people have anonymized um kind of feedback just to get that feedback in which is really really um this is where i would uh plug the hive hr platform if i was going to do something like that but uh, (laughs) but i'm not going to i'm not going to (laughs) well there you go hive hr for those of you listening who may be an opportunity for you to do that but you know i think just be recognizing that's also problematic for people that then put rampant racist statements on because we've seen that as well and it's been really yeah and on the biggest scale you know I think LinkedIn had an um, example of as its company had an example of some really derogatory comments um, really? some big yeah some big 
um, some big kind of professional setups in America as well. I think, you know, we're, we're seeing some of those comments as well. So it's just being mindful of, of that, but also recognizing that people have a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think other things that, you know, could be done is champion someone who is underrepresented if you work with someone you know use your privilege or your platform to be able to enable them to be more visible in the workplace setting whether that's taking them along to a meeting um or talking about them when they're not in the room that's a really powerful way of raising awareness to underrepresented. i like that one that one yeah i hadn't that's 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 like the the beauty of simplicity isn't it you know i I think that I, i that would have you know that would have never occurred to me as being because you're always looking for the big gesture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're always like, there's is- got to be some paradigm shifting thing that we can do. And yet yeah. the most effective thing is probably the, the, the smaller steps, right? Absolutely. And also I think there's a really important, actually allyship is a verb, right? So it's, so it's, it's doing, not saying. Mm. And so there's performative allyship, which really irritates me, mm. both at an individual level and an organizational level. Like, yeah, I'm all for it, and it, but you're not actually doing anything. And actually, mm. it's more about the doing. So allyship can come in all shapes and different sizes. And I think one of the key things that I've certainly been talking about recently is, you know, as an ally, you're not necessarily speaking over that person because that's not what we need. Um, it's necessarily creating that you're using the privileges that you have to open doors for that individual because, you know, it, it, we don't want it to be a patronizing experience or you know oh, you come along you know etc but it's just building like like you say small steps to build that visibility for those individuals if there's a sector cons- so it sounds like from your organization but if you're asking yourself how can i attract and recruit more diverse candidates is go out and look for them they are there a hundred percent and it will have to i think what you'll need to do is from a talent acquisition perspective is that there's a lot that can be done in that space which is you know uh, targeted advertisements being really visible on this issue on your website showing your commitment to being diverse um profiling individuals that are diverse within your organizations who are happy to do so um but also it takes work because for years you know that oppression has manifested in people of color and you know black people um not necessarily um thinking that those opportunities are available to them because of years of systemic oppression that's not going to go away overnight so if you're going to you're going to open that you know open yourselves up to becoming more diverse Mm -hmm. it takes the work of going out there and saying look you know what we want more diversity this is how we you know this is why we want it um and you know those kind of messages will be so powerful um and they will get you because the talent is out there you know we have a diverse talent pool in this country alone but the talent is out there it's just it's just working out how you go about finding it and i think with regards to the talent being out there you know in today's world you know for those of us who are let's say embracing you know the times and and moving with them that you know it it needn't be anymore that you're going to be you know having to get the job a job in the city that you're working in you know i think that the world has become a lot smaller or i'm hoping rather that the world has become a lot smaller from a from a recruitment and uh, employability perspective as well so Agreed. the opportunity certainly is there yeah absolutely it is and it is about thinking differently about where you're targeting it like you say geographical differences hopefully you know like you say it should become a smaller issue um but we've seen the government's U-turn decision on A-level results and the initial uh, decision around, you know, grading it in line with, you know, your region and your performance in your area. Well, that contributes to a systemic culture of, um, you know, of, of, of again, oppression and of lack of opportunity, mm. which we're 
trying to break away from so don't necessarily like i say challenge your now unconscious i hate the word unconscious bias because bias is bias <laughs> at the end mm-hmm. of the day whether you know you're doing it or not bias is there so i think it's about recognizing that in the recruitment and hiring practices you may without even knowing it you might even just jump to you know okay i want to go to this job board or i want to go speak to this uni or i want to do this and when you find yourself thinking like that just catch yourself that would be my advice is just step step back and go okay that's how i've always done it where have i not gone to what have i not done you ask yourself the what's have I not, you're able to find the gaps and you're able to then target the talent appropriately. Brilliant. I mean, well, I mean, that, that certainly answers um, the question that I was going to ask, which is sort of what, what is something that sort of I or, you know, the listener as, uh, as the individual can do to sort of try and adopt a more inclusive mindset, let's say. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I could, I could honestly, I could do this with you all day, Wush, but um, we'll, we'll finish up with one question because uh, I, you know, I appreciate we've, you know, you've got other things you need to be getting on with today as well. Um, so I guess the last question is, uh, you know, for the, for the practitioner, um, not to exclude anybody, but this is this is ultimately in for them, for the practitioner, for the business owner, for the MD, the CEO, whoever listening to this, what is a um, sort of a quick win, for want of a better phrase, that, you know, any company can introduce to take a positive step forward with regards to, to inclusivity? Um, oh, God, what a question. Um, Sorry about the background noise, by the way. I don't know if you can hear that coming through. It's not coming through for me, no. Okay, cool. I think someone's drilling, and like it feels like oh, it's, it's always um, the same. I would, <laughs> I would say, at, at an individual, at a micro level, my advice would be to have the a com- have an uncomfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. If you're not having an uncomfortable conversation, and I've had many, as a person of colour and as a queer person of colour, you kind of think, so people are like, oh, you know, it's not just a white versus black issue at the moment around race and diversity and inclusion. It's not. It's about different marginalised groups supporting each other and understanding about each other. And you mm-hmm. can't do that until you have an uncomfortable conversation where you look, where you, you know, where you look where you explore explore those mm-hmm. issues explore mm-hmm. those biases do it in a way like you say in you know that you mentioned earlier ben i think you said really really well put about you know um doing it in a way that feels safe and feeling that you know you're able to do that um and the fact that you just shared you know your own thinking on this podcast is an example of that um have that uncomfortable conversation um so if it's one uncomfortable conversation you know i now get excited about an uncomfortable conversation i know it's happening i know it's coming and i'm like i'm ready for it it's an opportunity right Absolutely. And I'll, you know, I'll give you an example of an uncomfortable conversation. My family, I mean, I've got like, I'm at my parents right now. (laughs) So they're going to be like, because I'm just visiting them for the week. But you know, my, there's a, there's a real anti-blackness culture within the brown within the south asian communities actually and that's something that i've been exploring recently and it's really been uncomfortable because effectively you're challenging you know parents uh you know having those conversations with my parents about well you know colorism for example you know in pakistan where they where my parents are from um there's this culture of fair and lovely being like the lighter your skin tone the more privilege you get the more you're well regarded the more you have access to education and health it's 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 bizarre the darker skinned you are you know you normally end up with the lowest paid jobs and all of that kind of stuff and there's still a culture of that in asian communities and we're not white <laughs> so mm. you know there is a lot of work that we all need to do and it starts with having an uncomfortable conversation so my advice would be have that uncomfortable conversation find an area that you don't know about or that you know you need to talk about um and have it and have that conversation excellent well 
I think that that is, I mean, you know, that is the one, I think that's the one that anybody, you know, any organization could adopt, you know, whatever, whether it's a focus group, whether it's a, you know, a Google forms or a survey monkey, or, you know, whether it's a more advanced HR platform that allows for anonymous and confidential <laughs> conversations amongst the workforce, uh, naming no names, of course. Uh, Wosh, um, I'll leave it with this for anybody who wants to hear more about, hear more from you, hear more about these fantastic webinars that you're running with the CIPD from any, for anyone who is, you know, a practitioner who is thirsty, let's say for more authentic and honest communications, how can people best get in touch with you? Uh, please follow me on my LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, uh, even though we've got the boundaries we talked about earlier, I'm pretty, um, <laughs> I'm pretty kind of on on the ball with LinkedIn. Um, I will ha- also happily share share contact details, but drop me a message on LinkedIn yeah. um, as a starting point, and and I'll definitely be up for for anyone that wants to 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 listen. Really, <laughs> hey, fantastic, Wish. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, I look forward to doing this again soon. Thanks, Ben. Thanks very much. How good was he on that episode? Like, let's just be honest. How many times do you hear people speak with such passion, with such authenticity, uh, but also with such knowledge, you know? I mean, if that's something that you come across in your business on the reg, then you have got some fantastic people amongst your ranks. Um, but I really, really do suggest that you uh, that you drop Wush a follow on LinkedIn uh, and see some of the stuff that he's putting out. Check out those webinars that he's doing with the CIPD. Um, and, you know, if you're somebody who is looking for a great guest or you just want a knowledgeable speaker for a lunch and learn or something like that, then, you know, I really, really recommend getting in touch with him. You know, not only is he a, a, a super knowledgeable person, but he's a, he's a really nice guy. And um, I hope that I can have him back on the show again soon. All right. That's enough from me, everybody. Thank you all very much for listening. Um, I don't ask for much, but if there was one thing that you guys could all do, guys and girls, I'm very sorry, could do to help me, it would be please just uh, subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, uh, just subscribe. You know, you don't have to leave a like. You don't have to share or anything like that. But I'm trying to grow this platform. I think that the messages that we're sharing and the guests that I have will really be of benefit to a lot of the people listening. And hopefully um, they'll spark some great ideas. So if you do like the show, if you do want to help me out, Drop me a subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to, and I look forward to bringing you some more fantastic episodes in the future. I have guests booked, and they're all ready to come on. Um, If you have any comments, any feedback, good or bad, you can get me on LinkedIn. It's Ben Lind. Um, Honestly, if you have any criticism as well, please do send it my way. It's the only way I'm going to get better. Um, But enough of my waffle. Thank you all very much for listening, and until next time, stay engaged. Stay engaged.